Hello, this is UCL Uncovering Politics. This week we ask, how should you run the public administration? Should administration be close to or insulated from politics? And what should the role of private and other non-state actors be? Hello, my name is Alan Rennick and welcome to UCL Uncovering Politics, the podcast of the School of Public Policy and Department of Political Science at University College London. We're focusing this week on public administration. That might not be the sexiest of topics. Mention of the word bureaucracy rarely lifts hearts, but it's incredibly important for the development of public policy and for the delivery of public services and all the other things that the state does. So how can you run public administration well? We're going to be investigating that question by focusing on two recent studies. One of them looks at structures for the governance of public services. Are public agencies that are subject to tight political control better or worse than public corporations, which operate at some remove from government? And what's the impact of mixed public-private ownership? And the other study looks at collaborative forms of governance where public, private sector and non-profit actors cooperate in developing policy and delivering outcomes. The common denominator between these two studies is that both are co-authored by my colleague Mark Esteva. Mark is Professor of International Public Management here in the UCL Department of Political Science and a prolific author on many aspects of public administration. And I'm delighted to say that he joins me now. Welcome, Mark, to UCL Uncovering Politics. And let's let's start with a very broad question. We're dealing with a subject that, as I hinted at the start there, maybe has a reputation for being a tiny, tiny bit dull. So what makes you excited about studying public administration. Hello, Alan. Well, uh, first of all, thank you very much for inviting me to this podcast. It's a real pleasure to be here uh, discussing these topics with you. What makes public administration interesting for me? I guess the best way to, to explain this is to start by saying that all my family, my father, my mother, or, you know, pretty much everyone in my family, actually, even my, my expose, um, they are public servants. So, uh, and my father actually used to work as a politician. So I guess that I've, I've been able to see since I was a kid, which is the impact that good public policies and good government can have on our society. And I think that we live in, 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 in a country, actually most of these countries, if you, if you look at the percent of, of GDP that is spent through the public sector, is usually more than 50%, which means that if you're interested in making this world a better world, I don't think that there is a, a bigger platform than the public sector to achieve that. And it might not sound as sexy as other ventures, I realize that, but I think that if we are able to improve the public sector, the impact that this can have into our communities, into citizens, is just huge. So that's the main reason why I decided to spend my career looking at, at how to improve, or at least trying on how to improve public services and governments. And that sounds like a really big question. What, what does it mean? What, what does it mean to improve public services? That's, that's, again, it's a very good question. At the beginning of your presentation, you say that, that my research basically focused on how to run an administration well. And I guess the, the, the first question that we should ask is, what does it mean for an administration to run well? What, how we define well? And I think here for, for a long time, 
the focus was on how many services governments can offer and which is the resources that are attached to each of these services. Now, over the last decade, the shift has focused on effectiveness and efficiency, whether we can achieve the so-called value for money. So how can we get out of the system for each pound, each euro, each dollar that we include into this system? And I think this has really helped us to become better at managing public services. But over the recent years, we have realized that this is just a partial picture of the problem. We also have to consider the quality of the service because you can be extremely efficient at providing a very low quality service. But that's probably not what we want as a society. So I think that the first thing that we have to, to start discussing or to try to find an agreement with is which is the right balance between cost, efficiency and quality. And then of course the main question is how can we achieve the desired quality level for the number of services that we want with effectiveness. And I think this is something that is going to draw most of the research on policy implementation and governments in the next years. So let's, that's really helpful as a starting point. Let's move on to the first of the studies that you've recently published that we're focusing on here, because that focuses very much on cost, doesn't it? And thinks in terms of the, the, the cost implications of different ways of structuring public services. Exactly. So uh, in this first study, what we wanted to do is we, we basically that the main reason why we started this study is because we were able to get our hands into a very large database that had the variable cost for eight different public services. And it's very unusual to be able to compare costs among different organizational forms for multiple services. So we got very excited about this database. And then what we wanted to address with this was, well, let's have a look at what happens when you include the private sector in the delivery of public services. So let's look at how different organizational forms can actually have an impact on the cost of the service that is delivered. So in particular, we were interested in what happens with the corporatization of public services. We know that now there are certain public debates about whether it makes sense to corporatize certain public services. Other views are more in favor of remunicipalizing, renationalizing certain public services. So we wanted to shed some light into which is the particular effect of the corporatization of public services into the cost of these services. So what exactly does corporatization mean? So I, I, I attempted to sum up a little bit of this at the start, but I don't know if I got it right in terms of the difference between public agencies. So, so first is that there's a difference between public agencies and public corporations. Exactly. And then there's some more stuff as well about mixed corporations. So there are these different styles. And yes. So sum it's, up for us what's different between them? The first thing that I should say, especially if we have an international audience, is that public corporations mean different things in different countries countries because they are very much this very much depends on the law that each country has but we define public corporations as single purpose organizations that operate under the private law and they tend to distance themselves from the influence of elected officials so public corporations are 
the way in which we can implement public services mainly driven by managerial logics, not so much by the logic of elected officials or politicians. So they're still owned publicly, exactly. but the kind of structure of governance is more akin to what you would find in the private sector. Exactly. And, and in the paper we discuss that there are three main characteristics that distinguish them. The first one is that public corporations do not operate under the classic administrative law. And this means that they are less subject to financial scrutiny. The second aspect is that precisely because they do not operate under administrative law, they have much more flexibility when implementing uh, personal management practices, okay? Because they operate under the private or the commercial law. And the third aspect is that public corporations are not restrict to operate under the jurisdiction of administrative law, which in practice means that they can expand their services according to their needs. So, in a nutshell, public corporations should have more flexibility than main governmental bodies, or, for instance, public agencies. Now, what we discuss in the paper, though, is that you can have two main types of public corporations. You can have public corporations in which only the public sector operates, but you can also have public corporations in which you have the participation of the private or the non-profit sector, in which, in which case we will be referring to mixed firms. Okay, so those are the different kind of structures that you're looking at. And I guess from what you've said there that the expectation would be that public corporations with that greater independence and being less subject to those constraints would be able to operate at lower cost than public agencies that are more tightly bound into the state. Is, is that the expectation that you have? Exactly. Actually, this is the first hypothesis that we have in this study. We think that because they have more flexibility in their management practices, public corporations will operate with lower costs when compared to public agencies. No. And then and then mixed corporations with more private sector engagement, I guess the expectation would be that there would be even, even lower costs. Well, here actually the empirical evidence that exists on this particular topic is mixed because on the one hand, it's true that if you operate with the private sector, the private sector is known to be more efficient or to be able to operate with lower costs. But at the same time, it's also true that if you mix the public and the private sector, you might as well get the wars of both worlds. So here, if you mix two different organizations, you're going to have higher transaction costs. You're going to have more principal Asian uh, layers within that relationship, which means that, you know, we were not sure here in our hypothesis whether in a mixed corporation we would be getting the best of both uh, sectors or the worst of both sectors. And we decided to hypothesize for the second option. So we actually thought that mixed corporations would actually incur in higher costs than public corporations because we thought that the coordination costs among both sectors would actually have an effect on the final costs of the service. So we think that here, collaborating probably has a cost. 
So listeners will now be desperate to know what the answer to that is, but we do like a bit of methodology on this this this, this podcast. So before we get to the answer, we'd better just explore the methodology a little bit. So you mentioned that you've got this fantastic database from local public service delivery bodies in Spain. Yes, Alan, thank you for your question. So uh, in this study, what we have is eight local public services. So we have data from eight local public services, and these are solid waste collection, waste uh, treatment, sewage, street cleaning, waste-related environmental protection, water distribution, libraries, and social services. Probably um, the audience would already be thinking uh, it's difficult to imagine a library that operates under a mixed public corporation. And they are right, we do not have cases of every organizational form for the eight local public services. But what we have here is information about the effective cost, which means the cost incurred by local governments to deliver each of these eight services. And this is data that comes from the Ministry of Finance and Public Administration of the Spanish government. So what, what we have in this study is we are able to differentiate between four main organizational forms. The first one are public agencies, which is the baseline group that we use. This will represent classic, traditional public administration from within the public sector. In the next category, what we have are public corporations in which the private sector does not participate. So 100% public corporations. The third category would be mixed public corporations in which the private sector has a minority of the shares of the organization. So there is a minority of the participation of the private sector. And then the fourth category would be mixed public corporations in which the private sector has a majority of the shares. So it means that the participation of the private sector here is much more important. These are the four categories that we are able to compare. And so you've got public services being delivered by different versions of these in different local authority areas exactly. in Spain, basically. And that leads on to the crucial question then of what do you find? What 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 do, does this variation lead to? So the, the results, quite surprisingly, overall, we've seen that there is no evidence of cost advantages from the corporatization of public services when compared to public agencies. So... Are public corporations better in terms of costs than public agencies? The answer for these eight services is no, they are not. Even more, when the public firm, when the public corporation has private participation, but retains government ownership majority, so when the private sector participate with a minority of shares, the service production tends to actually be more expensive. This might well reflect, we think, that the governance costs of mixing the public and the private sector could be particularly acute in this organizational form. So this is really interesting because you said at the start that we shouldn't just be interested in the cost of delivering public services. We should be interested in the quality of services and various things. But presumably in this study, you're focusing on cost because the argument in favor of corporatization is it will deliver services at lower cost. So you're kind of focusing on the key argument for exactly. corporatization and you're finding that that 
key argument doesn't hold up. Yeah, because the whole idea here is, well, if we are able to give more managerial flexibility to the public sector, this means that public managers will be able to bring the costs down of a public service. But funny enough, what we find is that this is not the case, at least for the eight services that we have analyzed in Spain. Now, we do not know whether this is something that would apply to other countries or to other services, but using a rather large database with multiple services, services with multiple characteristics, what we find is that public corporations are not more cost efficient than public agencies and that the collaboration with the private sector might work well but when the private sector operates with a minority of shares in the in the joint venture what we have is actually higher costs now this is what the data is showing but then we can of course try to interpret this data and try to provide reasons on why this might be the case and what, what we try to delve into in the, in the last section of the article is why would this be the case? Why public corporations have higher costs than public agencies? And here we, we propose, we suggest an argument. And again, this is just our thinking. The data doesn't allow us to see whether this is the case or not. But we think that the main reason why public corporations might incur in higher costs is because the directors of these public corporations do not have a very strong incentive to bring the costs of the services down. For example, Alan, imagine that you were now the head of a public corporation that was focusing, for example, in running uh, the London Tube. And your employees told you that you either increase their salaries or they are gonna they're gonna go on a strike now the public doesn't really judge citizens in London doesn't really judge or they don't even know which is the overall cost uh, or the efficiency of the service what they want is a, t a tube that runs that runs well in time right and that brings them from point A to point B now, if you are threatened with a strike, I think that the incentive that you have as a, as a director here is to make sure that the services keep running, which means that what we have found in some of the cases that we've been able to analyze individually is that the working conditions of employees in public corporations are actually better than those working in public agencies. In other words, it might be more expensive to run a public service through a public corporation because the fact that public corporations do not operate under the public law is not really bringing the cost down. On the contrary, is allowing, for example, unions to have more power to improve the working conditions of employees. Now, I'm not suggesting this is something wrong, not at all, but we have to decide how we're going to make the best of each of these organizational forms. And that's a, that's a really interesting argument, and one that might surprise some listeners in the UK, at least, who are used to the idea that contracting out and you know removing public services from very close political control to something more remote is associated with harm to labor standards, lower pay for people involved in there. So you're suggesting that at least in some circumstances we get a different dynamic. 
going. And I guess the interesting question then is, well, what are the circumstances in which we get different dynamics? Exactly. That's a very good point. So I think that here the difference is when you contract out the delivery of public service to the private sector, then the incentives of the private sector are certainly to bring the costs of the service down because then they're basically going to make more money, right? But when the corporation is fully public, they don't have this incentive. They don't have the incentive of bringing the cost down, which means that the employees of this public corporation might end up working with better working conditions than those operating under public law, so under main governmental bodies, or in this case, under public agencies. So I think that, I, I guess the argument here would be, it's, you know, public corporations do not operate under public law, but their managers are still operating under political incentives. And this might not be a very good mix. And we, we often make perhaps an overly simplistic distinction between privatization and nationalization, and there being basically two ways of doing things. But actually, you're suggesting that a lot of what goes on is is more subtle than that, and there are variations somewhere in the middle here. And actually, we need to be paying close attention to the dynamics within that. Absolutely. I think, obviously, that the devil is on the details. But for example, I, I tend to warn our students to use the word privatization with caution, because to me, privatization should refer to those public services that we have decided that they should not be considered public services anymore, right? Those public services that are outside the scope of the implementation of government, in which case the only thing that governments does, as with any other economic activity, of the country is to basically regulate the rules of their of their game. Now, when we have private sector actors helping in the implementation of public services, we have cases of indirect implementation of public services, externalization, contracting out, mixed terms, etc. And I don't think we should call this privatization, although we are extremely used to do it. But I think there is a huge difference between those services that are public services, whether they are implemented by the public or the private sector, or a mixed combination of both, and those services that have been privatized and therefore they are not, or they should not be considered public services anymore. And this is the first of a series of, of studies that we are starting to, 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 to create, to make, to try to understand which are the characteristics in which each organizational form would work best for our citizens, would actually allow us to implement better public services, which is the ultimate objective that we all have. We'd better move on to the second paper or we'll never have time properly to discuss it. So this is a paper, again, where you're looking at the involvement of non-state actors in, in state activities, if you like. And you're including here private sector actors and also non-profit actors. And you refer to the notion of collaborative governance to describe the sorts of relationships that you're exploring. So I guess one question to ask here is, what do we mean by what do you mean by collaborative governance? What's going on here? And then a second question is, so we've been talking about a paper where you're focusing on the impact of these arrangements on costs. In this paper, you're looking at impact on public perceptions and public confidence in the arrangements. So we have quite a different focus in terms of the, the output that you're, you're studying. Yes, um, you're right, Alan. So before 
delving more into the characteristics of each organizational form, we wanted to, because we were discussing with some of our colleagues, what do citizens think about different organizational forms? Do they care? Do they even realize sometimes who is the owner of the service, the public service that, that they are using, whether the hospital is public or is private or is a mixed firm, do they even care about that? So we decided to take a broad approach to service delivery. And here we talk about collaborative governance and we understand collaborative governance as those situations in which governments do not implement a public service alone, but in collaboration with the help of other organizations. And this can either be public, private, or from non-profit initiatives. So in this paper, what we wanted to do is, well, let's just start with the first experiment, trying to see whether citizens care on who are the actors involved in the delivery of services. And then we also include another treatment, which is, let's tell them the performance of the policy, to see whether this is what actually really matters. Because we, we thought in our minds, basically, that the, the, the underlying hypothesis that we had is we don't think citizens care that much about who implements a service. We think that what they really care is they want a service that works. And obviously, as, as, as any time that you do a study, we were able to answer this question, but the answer is more nuanced than the one that we thought. <laughs> so b before we get to the answer, we should, as ever, just explore the methodology quickly. So, so this is based on a survey. This is an experiment that we implemented via survey on 1,470 US citizens. And here, what we wanted to propose to them, or the experiment was a, a classic two per two per two factorial design, in which we had... Now, that's a very complicated <laughs> phrase, but you have to explain. What yeah, you this mean. means that we are changing the survey that we are sending to respondents, and we have a control group, but then we also have what we call uh, treatment groups. And these treatment groups, basically, is a set of different groups, a set of different surveys. And in these surveys, we play with three main experimental factors, which are representation, how many organizations are involved in the delivery of this service. The second one is performance information. And the third one is the issue complexity. So according to this, you can have six scenarios, right? One in which the representation is low, or one in which the representation is high. One in which the performance information, it's telling you that the policy is not working very well. And one that it's telling you that the policy is indeed working very well. And finally, issue complexity. So one that tells you the issue that this policy is trying to tackle is very simple. The issue that this policy is trying to tackle is very complex. And then obviously we have a combination of all these different experimental factors. This is what we call, technically the name of this is a between subject two per two per two uh, design. So you've got the representation feature there is basically varying the process of, of service delivery. Exactly. Who's involved in doing that? Whether it's basically just the government or it's the government plus some private sector actors plus some non-profit actors. Exactly. So, so we, we, so we, basically, yeah, we basically have here a representation of what we call of different stakeholders. The idea basically is to compare whether the public sector does it alone 
or does it in collaboration with other stakeholders, other key actors in the field? So the crucial question as ever is, what do you find? So do you find that people care about the process through which the service is delivered or do they just care about the performance of the service? Well, so what we find is that the main exploratory variable on what do people perceive about this service is the performance of the service, which is something that probably, you know, the audience is going to be thinking, well, you didn't have to go through all the trouble of implementing this study to find this out. It's true. But we also found a few more nuanced aspects that I think are worth considering. So, for instance, those individuals, or, or, or well, let me explain this, I guess, with the right order. So first, the results that we find demonstrate that positive performance information has a very robust positive influence on participants' perceptions of the collaborative governance. And this happens among the three aspects of collaborative governments. Performance information is by far the one that has a larger effect on the perceived legitimacy. And this effect, again, is consistent across the different outcomes variables of the study. But we also see that when we involve diverse stakeholders, specifically with a balance of actors between the public and the private and non-profit sectors, citizens also perceive that the service has higher legitimacy. So while the main driving indicator here is performance, we also see that citizens feel more comfortable when more actors are involved in the delivery of public service. And there are differences according to some individual characteristics. In this case, we were able to ask participants the level of trust that they have on public organizations. And what we find when we consider these is that those respondents that have high trust in public organizations do not really care about representation in the service delivery. On the contrary, those individuals that do not really trust, do not have high trust on the public sector are those that particularly welcome having other stakeholders from the private or nonprofit sectors involved in the delivery of the service. And I guess the next question that comes to my mind, but I think it's one that's going to require another study, isn't it? Is, is, um, is it the presence of private sector actors that people like? Is it the presence of non-profit actors that people like? Is it just anyone other than, the, than politicians is good in some people's minds? But I think you can't get into that in this study, can you? So no, I'm, I'm afraid we cannot. But it would be we'll good. We'll just I, have to have you back on when you've managed to do a follow-up study. That'll be terrific. And if anyone in the audience is interested in helping us to answer this question, please let them contact us. Because this is certainly one of the things that now we would like to study, which is who do citizens want to see in uh, the other end of the public service? Um, so we've understood that the main, the main objective, the, the main interest that they have, obviously, is to have that tube running so that they can go from point A to point B. So what they really care about is having a service that works well. But it's also true that some citizens, in, in the case of our study, a pretty large percentage of those respondents that we had in this study also care quite a lot about who do we have at the other end, whether it's a combination of actors or it's just the public sector. Now, which is the right combination 
which is your, your question, is something that we, we still cannot know. But I think it would be very interesting to see how some individual characteristics explain which are the preferences that citizens have to, uh, you know, who they want to see at the other end of the service. We're going to have to wrap up there, I'm afraid, which is a great shame because I've got a zillion more questions, but we're just going to have to have you back on the podcast when you've done some further work on this. And you've definitely demonstrated that examining processes of public administration is not dull. And indeed, you've demonstrated that the general public care about it. It's not just we academics who care about it. So thank you so much, Mark. It's been really great. To thank you very much, Alan. We've been looking at two papers, both co-authored by Mark Esteva. The first, The Costs of Corporatization, Analyzing the Effects of Forms of Governance, was published in the journal Public Administration earlier this year. And the second, What Drives the Perceived Legitimacy of Collaborative Governance, an Experimental Study, was published in Public Management Review also this year. And you'll find links to both papers in the show notes for this episode. Next week, we're looking at automation and immigration and how the ways we talk about them can drive policy outcomes and patterns of power. And I'm very happy to say that that episode will be hosted by a new member of the UCL Uncovering Politics team, my colleague, Dr. Emily McTurnan. Emily is an expert in political theory. You may have heard her as a podcast guest back last January, and she discussed her work then on taking offence. It'll be wonderful to hear her as a more frequent voice in future episodes. Remember, to make sure you don't miss out on that or other future episodes of UCL Uncovering Politics, all you need to do is subscribe. You can do so on Apple, Google Podcasts, or whatever podcast provider you use. I'm Alan Rennick. This episode was produced by Connor Kelly and Eleanor Kingwell-Bannum. Our theme music is written and performed by John Mann. This has been UCL Uncovering Politics. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.